I was so excited. It was on. But then I had to go on a three-day tour, and at the end of that, our emails got pretty hot and heavy. At one point, she wrote to me that she had gone to a Halloween party with her friend and noticed a particularly hot individual dressed as a Smurf. She asked her friend, Is it just me or is that Smurf erotic? And then she wrote, Last night I masturbated, but I did not think of the Smurf. I was so excited. It was on! Our next day was November 1st, the Day of the Dead, one week before Obama was elected. Sigh. I was playing guitarón with a mariachi band made up of middle-aged Mexican lesbians at a radical fairy ritual celebration of the life cycle that involved lots of men with glitter in their beards, wearing capes inscribed with Walt Whitman poems, from which we all read randomly and leisurely but with purpose. In the subway car on the way to the gig, we were practicing our tunes for the rioters when a doo-wop band of gorgeous middle-aged black men singing Mary Don't You Weep got on the car. We all blended fantastically together with our version of Volver. This part I'm not making up. The people I get to know are actually this fabulous. It's one reason I don't really watch movies. Charlie and Harry came to the party with a bottle of champagne we all ended up drinking in a circle with my ex who played trumpet in the band. Mercifully, we didn't play Spin the Bottle. I say mercifully because I didn't want to kiss her son or my ex. Sometimes I'm uptight. We did, however, make arrangements to meet later at her apartment downtown, where she's a professor of Delphic abstrusity theory at the University of Downtown New York. When I got to her apartment, we all hung out together in the spacious living room. After about a half an hour, she asked Harry to do his homework in his room. Then, Charlie and I were alone in that living room, having already confessed our mutual attraction via email. She stood up and asked me if I thought her dress was too short. It was white and very, very short. I came over to her, ran my fingers along the hemline and said, I think it's the perfect length. She was standing still and rigid with electric fear and excitement. And I kissed her. Then we'd made love. But I didn't spend the night, because she had to get up at six in the morning to get her son to school. As a parting gift, she sent me home with an iPod cozy she had knitted herself. This reminded me of one of my favorite lines from her novel, in which she gives her paramour the same gift. And then they stand there awkwardly, perhaps because they're breaking up, perhaps because his ex-wife has just attacked her with Coca-Cola. I can't remember the exact circumstances, just the line. He stood there, fingering the useless iPod cozy. I loved her dry sense of humor. Question. What if an evil alien overlord came and told you you had to choose between comedy and art? as a way to get through the inevitable heartbreak and tragedy of human life. Which would you choose? Trick question, comedy is art. Real question, are there experiences, emotions, traumas, that not even art can solve? Is this why people came up with psychoanalysis therapy? I don't know, but I can tell you that Charlie and I continued seeing each other like this, going to shows, laughing, talking making love, listening to music and holding each other until we fell asleep, gazing out at the city or lost in each other's hair in my quiet little room in Brooklyn. 
I was there when Harry had his first taste of lobster, which clearly blew his mind. Kind of like if you're a lucky child and you get to go to the beach and you can't even believe that a place so wonderful exists, much less that you get to play and get filthy in it all day long. Charlie and I smiled at each other across the table watching Harry, who didn't notice us at all. So beautifully lost was he in the lobster. Charlie was deeply into gift-giving in her personal life. She even taught a course on the destiny of objects, and I don't think she ever showed up to my house empty-handed. One day, she gave me some West African miracle fruit pills she had read about that make everything taste sweet. We took them and ate grapefruit, and it really was magically sweet. That morning, she left my house, and I remained there sitting in a love daze when my bell rang again, and it was her, standing there, holding the most beautiful bouquet of plastic peonies I have ever seen. She gave them to me, saying, These are so beautiful, they reminded me of your breasts, and I just had to buy them. All the time we spent together felt like a magical gift. Oh, and she just loved, loved, loved music. In the morning at her house, she had an alarm clock with a CD in it of her son, playing Claire de Lune. The first time I woke up there to that music, we were bathed all in pink and golden light. After a few years, she switched the CD to Jerry Mulligan, a musician her father had loved. It was also beautiful. She often told the story of how much joy it brought her to pick the songs out for her father's memorial. She knew and loved well the music that he loved. To this day, hearing Claire de Lune or Giroux takes me straight to her bedroom and puts me in a sweet, delightful, and wistful mood. Even though, if either one of those songs is playing, it's because the alarm is going off, and that means it's 6 a.m., which is not my time to shine. Charlie also loved, loved, loved New York City, and I really appreciated that because I love it too. And my ex had hated it, which is one reason we broke up. This city is hard, but honestly, it will probably always be the love of my life, no matter how much it just doesn't give a shit about me. But our shared love for the city made our love for each other even bigger. We would gaze endlessly out at the city skies, adoringly taking in the endless variety of people, and sometimes just gasping together in delight. One time, she suddenly grabbed my arm, going over the Manhattan Bridge. So stunned was she by the majesty of the East River. Once, I was coming home from her house, and the rumblings of the trains aroused and continued the pleasure we had shared earlier. So I sent her a text telling her that, and she said, You're the poster girl for the MTA. That then became another kind of code for pleasure. So whenever we went over the Manhattan Bridge to visit the other one, we would text, Coming over the bridge. When you're in love, everything delights. Once, during this time, she wrote to me saying, All my friends have noticed how happy I am, and they think it's because of the election, the one where Obama replaced Bush, just to remind us all that that did happen. They think it's the election, she said, but I know the real reason. She made me feel very loved and accepted. She invited me into her life, told me she wanted to show me off to her friends. We even went to her academic-themed parties together. Every 4th of July, her friend and colleague, Augustine, held a Salads of the World party. 
and that first year, a red, white, and blue minty, fruity jello mold won most subaltern. After that party, I spent the night at her place in the city, and in the morning, she gave me two books. Gertrude Stein's Blood on the Dining Room Floor, which I dug wholeheartedly, and Roland Barthes' A Lover's Discourse, which I found perhaps a little too dense and a little too French for me, but interesting nonetheless. She told me she thought Barthes' formula for love was hilarious, and I thought so too. It was like X plus Y divided by a host of 30 or so variables, like the size of your apartment and whether or not you both like dogs, equaled happiness or something like that. God, I learned a lot from Charlie. Every once in a while, I had a feeling not unlike jealousy of how smart she was. Once, she read 800 pages in one night. Mostly, though, I was pretty happy to be trading sexual favors for graduate-level instruction. She told me I should read Montaigne, but I haven't yet. We talked a lot in bed. She told me all about Lévi-Strauss, anthropophagic cultures, and his idea that writing was most likely invented for the purposes of deception. She taught Marxism and gift theory and explained how objects have their own personal destiny, so there's nothing whatsoever wrong with re-gifting. Once I thought about that, I couldn't see it any other way. I like to be a student, and these times tasted like delicious orgasmic learning to me. She was always fascinated by erotic thought, and said she encouraged her students to take masturbation breaks when they're reading and writing. Once I thought about that, I couldn't see that any other way either. At one point, she asked me what I thought of her novel, and I said, honestly, I had just read it to see if she was going to do me or not. But now that we were steady lovers, I reread it without that distraction. When I told her my interpretation, she gave me a PhD in literature. I kind of do sometimes feel gifted with a particular blessing slash curse that I can find meaning in literally anything. A crack in the sidewalk. Was it caused by faulty workmanship? Wise reminder of human fallibility. Was it caused by a root from a tree? Nature is larger than humanity. Is it just a fucking crack in the sidewalk? Yes. Anyway, she gave me the Ph.D. for my interpretation of a recurring dream her novel's character keeps having. She introduces this dream in a central chapter called Who is Mr. Grayman? In the dream, her narrator experiences nightly sleep visitations from a baby or baby-like figure with a receding hairline who's wearing aviator glasses and says his name is Grayman. Much of her novel is her wondering who he is and what he means. Here's the email exchange that led to my Ph.D. I wrote, I think I know who Mr. Grayman is. Charlie wrote back, my dad? I said, nope, I'll give you a hint. I should have said what Mr. Grayman is, not who. Guess again. Charlie said, can you tell me if it's a linguistic pun, a visual thing, animal, vegetable, or mineral? I said, it is a thing that you can see and touch and hold. It is mostly vegetable, dead, and perhaps some mineral, though that might not be very helpful. It's kind of a pun, though I'm not sure if it's a linguistic pun. Aren't all puns linguistic? When I think about it, it seems so obvious that surely you must have intended it and are playing with me that you don't know. 
Guess again if you like. Charlie said, Hmm, sounds gross. Dead vegetable matter with a little mineral deposit that you can hold? It sounds kind of like that sebaceous glob that that Croatian performance artist has been collecting from the skin of his bald head for the last eight or so years. Hmm. I wrote back, It is not the sebaceous glob that that Croatian performance artist has been collecting from the skin of his bald head for the last eight or so years. It's not gross. Well, parts of it are gross, but it's not gross to hold. P.S. That hint practically gives it away. Charlie said, I'm having a hard time. I said, okay, here's another clue. It's made of wood, but it's not hard. Charlie wrote back, baffling. I have to go down and get my laundry. Maybe it will dawn on me while I'm down there. I said, okay, here is a hint that will surely give it away. When I say it is made of wood, I mean that it is made of trees. I did my laundry too. Charlie wrote back, the book? And I said, yes, of course, Mr. Grayman is your novel. I mean, of course, he's also your father, Harry, and your dead beloved whose gray skin lets you know he's gone. Your novel is your baby and your old man. You want to take care of your writing, and you want your novel to take care of you. You're such a genius. It's like Gertrude Stein's Blood on the Dining Room Floor, in which the murdered woman is Gertrude herself, her artistic self, herself as the public understands her, and herself that she had to kill. Although she may have seen it that others killed her in real life, and she just wrote about it. What do you think? Charlie said, I think yes. I think you get to pass go and collect $200 and a PhD in literature. I said, only $200? PhD from Yale or NYU? I guess the best part is getting to go around the board again. She said, you choose. Also, hate to tell you, but $200 is pretty good. Most PhDs these days are walking out with a shit ton of student loans and a job in Malta if they're lucky. I said, okay, I'll take the $200. But tell me, did you have it planned all along? About gray men, I mean? She said, no. I really had a dream about a baby with aviator glasses and a receding hairline. I was all, what the fuck? I mean, I knew about my dad and Harry and all that. You can see why I fell in love with her. Also, you can see why, and that, I don't actually have a PhD. I would like to have all the knowledge that you get in grad school, but my destiny is to be an artist. The more I think about things, the worse I feel. Whereas the more I rock out, the better I get. Still, it made me happy to get that honorary PhD and to be her special friend. Were we special friends? It's hard to define relationships. One day out of the blue, Charlie told me that she hated the word girlfriend because she said it sounded childish. And she thought the word partner sounded too businesslike. She said she'd like to call me her guitar hero and to have me call her my dancing queen. All of this came unprompted. I hadn't asked her to call me anything specific because, like RuPaul or maybe Mae West, I don't care what you call me, just as long as you call me. But as a musical side benefit, the Guitar Hero Dancing Queen monikers fit perfectly into this Brazilian song 
that I'd been working on translating since 2001, when a Brazilian woman I was in love with said it reminded her of me. You were the prettiest on all our downtown scene. I was your guitar hero. You were my dancing queen. Now we never talk about it, but the party goes on and on. I'm still dancing in the street. You're holding court in your salon. Tonight the music went out, la 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 ya. Trying to find you, who you were, who are your new friends, who never met you, can't ever again see how, who can't forget you, won't recognize you now. When the music started, you shone like the sun. And if we felt downhearted, oh, you kept on keeping on. Today, so far from you, uh, and your enchantment excited. You only go to industry parties where you know I'm not invited. Tonight, the music went out, la la la, yeah. trying to find you. Who you were, who are your new friends? Never met you, can't ever again see how Who can't forget you, won't recognize you now Our hearts used to beat to the rhythm of your footsteps My dream inside you was kept warm in your caresses Tonight I walk with fear past the velvet of your rope You've got your big career And I'm left with only hope Tonight the music went out La 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 ya Trying to find you Who you were Who are your new friends Who never met you Can't ever again see how Who can't forget you Won't recognize you now To love to dress up like pretty little princesses Paint silver on our faces so the people would admire us I don't know what day it was We began to feel, put away our toys and become real Tonight the music went out, la 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 ya Trying to find you, who you were, who are your new friends Never met you, can't ever again see how Who can't forget you, won't recognize you now Today I'll dance in the streets while you lecture in the hall I'm happy that you're happy and you don't miss me at all But if you ever do, don't let it show on your face Always hide your feelings Keep everything in its place Tonight the music went out La 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 ya Trying to find you Who you were Who are your new friends Who never met you Can't ever again see how Who can't forget you Won't recognize you